Welcome back to Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp. With me today in the hot seat is Peyton Garland. And here's a bit about Peyton. She is a writer, wannabe rapper, and coffee shop hopper who loves connecting people to a grace much bigger than expected. Her debut book, Not So by Myself, was promoted by former White House President Secretary Dana Perino and endorsed by TED Talk speaker and creator of the More Love Letters movement, Hannah Brencher. Peyton lives in Colorado Springs with her husband, Josh, and their two gremlin dogs, Alfie and Daisy. And without further ado, let's welcome Peyton to the platform. Thank you, excited to be here. Thank you so much, Peyton, for carving out time to chat with me. Today, we're going to talk about connecting community with mental health, because we all know building a community is vital, but also making sure that we talk about mental health, what is mental health, bring awareness to mental health, and weave the two together, because it's so important. But before we dive into that, I want to know why did you put certain things in your bio? Because we know a bio is just a bio, but there's more to Peyton than what you wrote. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so I definitely am a writer. You know, I mean, that's just kind of my thing. I love words. I'm passionate about sharing my words with others, but I am quite the coffee shop popper. So my husband and I, we love to kind of go off the beaten path as far as coffee. So, I mean, Starbucks is cool, but it's a chain. So when we travel and when we explore places, even locally, we are all into local homegrown coffee shops. And so we will hop from coffee shop to coffee shop. And also, you know, I kind of sort of want to be a rapper. I don't think it's ever going to happen because I love words, but they don't roll off my tongue that fast, no matter how much I try. I listen to NF, I listen to Lecrae, I listen to Tadashi. I'm just not that good. So I, I choose to let my words be written on paper and I let the other guys spin them as pros. Oh, we have something else in common. I love Lecrae and Tadashi. I saw Lecrae live when he came to Houston for the 116 tour a few years ago. And it was just amazing. He was there with Andy Minio, Trip Lee, and all those guys. And it was my, my husband's first CHH. And for those of you who are listening, CHH is Christian hip hop. And my husband was like into old school, hardcore rap and all of that. And so whenever I tried to tell him about CHH, he's like, what is that? And then here we had the station called 91.7 Engine Radio, which has now moved completely to a digital platform. So you have to listen to it on the Engine app. So I just love that. So sidebar, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, Lazarus by Triple is one of my favorites. So I'm glad we've got a lot of music connections over here. This is awesome. Yes. So at the end, you know what you're going to be doing? Dropping some bars. <laughs> there you go. So when you think about community and creating a community, what does that look like for you, Peyton? And how do you ensure that the community that you're building, whether it's in your home front or externally, how do you go about doing that to give everybody a place of belonging to let them know, hey, I'm here with you? So I was a Christian school kid and I was in a very small class. My graduating class was 13 people. And so growing up, my community was almost picked for me. 
And so once I got into adulthood, I had no clue what community really was outside of the 12 people I was in a classroom with for nearly 15 years of my life. So through college, through being a newlywed, changing jobs, my husband's a pilot, we move a lot, just moving around. So between all these different experiences and relationships, for me, community has come to be not necessarily who you're closest to as far as on the map. It's really not even whose posts you keep up with the most on social media. Community for me has been creating a space where people know I'll go the extra mile for them, not just because of word, but because of deed. And it doesn't have to be something big, um, but I have a very good friend of mine from college. Our love language to each other is when we know the other one's going through a hard season or has something tough coming up, we just Venmo each other five bucks to grab a coffee. Like it's just creating space to let someone know they matter and that someone on the other end of the phone, the computer, across from each other at the coffee shop, that person's just going to be there and go the extra mile. That's amazing because people in this world are so cool, but there are also people in this world who are jewels and they come a dime a dozen because they actually go above and beyond and they're not just connected with you at a surface level they're willing to go deep diving with you and whenever you are in the right community at the right time it does you know show and then it also helps with your mental health especially after the crazy year we had with the pandemic and people losing their jobs that took a lot on people's mental health and if they didn't have a community that supported them then they fell by the wayside and we don't want that to happen and with us both coming from religious and spiritual backgrounds it's so important that we practice what we preach and we are the hands and feet of Jesus so I want to dive a little bit deeper into a personal side if you don't mind so you mentioned that your husband is a pilot and and you guys move around a lot. How do you ensure that you are fitting in with the different communities that you um, move into? And how do you be the light if you were in a dark situation, if that question makes sense? Yeah, I, I show up when I don't want to. I, I think that's the key is, you know, you, we've moved, we've been married three and a half years and we've moved five times. So it's just, yeah, it's just a lot of moving. And so Things like finding a church, um, finding just a group of girls I can connect with, finding other dog moms who will take their dogs to the dog park with me. That's kind of exhausting when you move as often as we do. It's always this idea of, well, why make friends if I kind of know in another six months to a year, we're packing up and we're moving again, you know, but I show up even when I don't want to, even when the logical side of me says this might not be a long-term thing. I invite friends to coffee. If my husband wants to introduce me to his coworker's wife, I go to dinner and I'm willing to meet new people. It's not always easy emotionally or mentally. Sometimes it's just draining to, to feel like you've, you've got to show up when you don't know someone because it's almost like this awkward playing 20 questions and adulthood, you know, making friends isn't quite as easy as you were when you were five and you were just playing on the playground. But I show up. I show up when it's hard and I'm always vulnerable. I don't have to know you for long to share my story because I think that is the way to be the light and the darkness is to share your journey. Because for me, my journey has been full of failures, but because of the failures, it's been full of hope and freedom from perfection. 
Okay, we're gonna dive into that part after this next question. So with your husband being a pilot, cause my husband is, is a chef, so they both work long hours and different stuff like that. But do you find yourself having to just be involved in his community a lot because it's a lot, it's a part of your profession because sometimes we as writers, yes, we have our communities, but a lot of our communities are online based and not necessarily face to face. So do you find yourself tapping more in, uh, tapping more into the pilot community or maybe the air stewardess or anything in that ram versus um, tapping into your writing community and finding people who just get you and you just vibe with yeah yeah for me it's one of those things where you know you would think with being a pilot's wife that the pilots are just gone all the time that their wives are who knows where their wives are but my husband has two good pilots and they have wives and they have friends and we very regularly grab coffee. We all grab dinner. And, and like you said, as a, as a writer, you're kind of at your desk. And for me, I work from home. So I, I'm very isolated unless I'm proactive about it. And because of his job and, and the wives in that situation, I have been able to find community there. And that's been wonderful. I love that. And I, I asked that question because there may be other pilot wives who are listening to this, or maybe wives who are married to a spouse who is always on the go, um, given what their profession is. And it's so important that we don't just hang on to what our husband does, but we find our own community to be a part of and know that we matter too, because we, we have amazing things to bring to the table. And you mentioned in your life, you went through a lot of failures, but it was those failures that gave you hope. So can you talk about maybe one or two stories of a failure that was a test that you turned into your testimony? Yeah, no, thank you so much for asking that. I think I was a perfectionist growing up. You know, I was a Christian school kid. I went to church every time the church doors were open. And so I, I learned to check all the boxes and to check them well. And that became my life. And it became quietly exhausting. And I, I didn't tell anyone. I just knew when to smile. I knew what to say. I knew what to do. And so I think one of the biggest failures in my life was probably when I was 25. I just knew I wasn't handling things well. My husband, Josh, had just started his piloting career. And he was actually at an airbase eight hours from home. So we weren't living together. We were still newlyweds. We had just moved to a new town anyway for me to start a new job. So I, I didn't know my neighbors. I didn't know my coworkers. My family was nowhere near me and Josh was gone. And so it was just a season of loneliness that was tough. And my mental health was taking a toll. My physical health was taking a toll. And I literally ended up in a therapist's office and I didn't think that's where good Christian girls went. I didn't think that's where the valedictorian of the high school went. I didn't think that's where I was in a sorority in college. They called me um, Peyton with a V card because I was the glorified virgin, like good virgin girls prior to marriage. You know, we don't show up here, but all of these titles and all of these check boxes were not making the cut. My mental health still was crumbling and so the biggest failure for me was having to show up at a therapist's office, sit across from a stranger and say, stuff is not going right. 
Yeah, I can relate to that. Um, there was a period last year where my husband and I, we lived in two different cities because he worked in Austin since he took a chef job there and I was here and he came home the day after he found out that my dad passed away, which was so heart-wrenching for me because it was unexpected. And whenever you are in in marriage and you're away from your spouse, yes, it strengthens the relationship in a sense, but it also taxes the relationship in a sense, especially if you're going through life and doing the emotions and you have other components, and whether they're internal factors or external factors that are weighing in. And sometimes you just have to, you know, instead of tapping in, you have to kind of tap out and go to a, a SME, a subject matter expert to help you understand unpack all the gunk and the garbage because if you talk to your mother they're not going to understand if you talk to your friends they really don't understand and you don't want to talk to certain people about certain issues because they put their two cents in it and then before you know it you say something and then they add their thing and then before you know it something is taken out of context and you're like that's not what I said or anything like that so going to a therapist is a good thing or finding a life coach or etc but I feel like the society that we live in, sometimes they see those things as a negative rather than a positive, where there are paid professionals that help us unpack and get over those hurdles so we can keep on going and tap into our optimal self. Because we all know mindset can either propel you or it could take you backwards. And we want to launch out deep and we want to go forward. So if you think about the car analogy of the rear view mirror and the windshield, the windshield is always bigger than the rear view mirror because your future and your destiny is bigger and brighter. Your past does not depict your future, but your past does teach you valuable lessons so you don't repeat things that weren't conducive to your overall growth, whether it's personally or professionally. I love that. that did you did you come up with that yourself? The windshield and the rear view mirror? Well, I've heard the windshield and rear view mirror analogy before, but I just put it in my own terms. That was beautiful. I love that. So when you got to that point, Peyton, and you said, you know what, I have to go to a therapist. Did you just go on your own and just have your powwow sessions there? Or did you tell your husband, hey, this is how I'm feeling. I think I'm spiraling and I need to seek help before it wanes on me further. Yeah, well, with him being so far away, it was it was one of those things where I didn't talk to him that much. I You can probably hear my gremlin dogs in the background, so excuse them, audience. Um, they were terrible while he was gone too, but I, I didn't know what to say to him. He's eight hours from home. He, he can't come home. And so if I tell him too much, I just feel like I have him worried. Like what, what can he do if, if he's eight hours away? So I bottled up a lot of things, which I've learned only causes anger and frustration and bitterness. And so I eventually went to therapy on my own, just, just because I was, to be frank, I was that miserable. Mm, okay, thank you for putting that out there. And you know, sometimes we as writers, even though we write as a form of expression, there are times where we bottle up certain things. And so it's like, you know, contradicting in a sense. And you're like, hey, I'm a writer. I know I could write about certain things, but why am I not journaling about my feelings? And why am I just keeping them internally? So did you ever feel like, oh my gosh, this is so freaking weird? 
<laughs> that is such a good point. I've never thought of that because what's funny is I don't journal my feelings. I bottle them up, get mad, and then unleash them on my therapist. Um, but that's actually how I ended up writing my book is when my husband was able to come home from that airport and we were actually able to live under the same roof. The rear view mirror for me, the hindsight was I had learned so much about myself and I learned to give myself grace. And I had learned that, I, I mean, I was diagnosed with OCD when I went to the therapist. I had learned that mental health problems should not be this terrible stigma. It's, it's something people struggle with and it's okay to seek help. And there was just so many aspects of, of my faith, of my marriage, of just discovering myself that I felt like I should share those with others. And so that is kind of what launched Not So By Myself. Ah, I like that. And let's um, highlight the book a bit. So how did you come up with the title of your book? And what was the moment where you said, you know what, I'm going to write this book because it's not just about Peyton, but it's going to help other people who pick up the book. So not so by myself was a, a title that came pretty easy for me just because I mean, technically I was by myself, but in retrospect to, to me being a person of faith, I wasn't alone in, in my journey. And the tagline is something that I took a little more time with. I took a little more thought, uh, but the tagline for me was a safe space where God doesn't fix the loneliness, but sits with you instead, because I, this was one of those seasons where God was not fixing the situation. Like I wanted it fixed in terms of Josh coming home and my life being normal and my dogs acting normal, or at least Josh taking away my terrible dogs. Like something had to give at this point, but God didn't fix it. Instead, he showed me himself and he showed me his patience and he showed me his community. He showed up and he sat and he was vulnerable and he let me be vulnerable and so that's kind of the space that the, the book was born in. Did you have any go-to movies or um, scriptures that you held on to while you were writing the book? I found a psalm, and this is terrible because I've, I've written it all in the book. There's a whole chapter on it, um, but there's a psalm, I believe it's in the 40s. But I was reading it one day and David had like done what David does, like something really stupid. And now people are after him. So David is backed into a corner again. And one of the verses, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it, it says, God, go get your war axe and defend me. I've seen you do this before and I know you'll do it again. And so I, I love the idea of, okay, I'm in the same situation. Like nothing has changed. I still mess up. I still am not honestly enjoying my life, just to be frank, but you are not just a lover. You're a fighter for me. You're my warrior. So get your war axe. You go do your thing. And, and I will sit here believing that I'll see you do this over and over again. Oh, I love that. And when you said, um, get your weapons, your war, I know I'm a warrior. It made me think about um, Priscilla Shire in the movie War Room when yes. her husband was gone. And he, there was times where he was present, like he was physically there, but his mind was elsewhere. And the elderly lady in the story said, you know what? you got to get your, your fight back. You got to fight for your family. And she goes through her closet and she just clears out everything. And her daughter thinks she's nuts though. And like, mommy, what are you doing with all your clothes and your <laughs> shoes? 
and she began to war and the Bible was her sword and she went to battle. She wrote down scripture. She put things on sticky notes. She really submerged herself in the word. And then before you know it, she started to see little inklings of God moving in and throughout her life. And her husband even lost, loses his job and does so many things. But then you see how the story turns 360 and the husband becomes you know, back loving her, you know, spending time with their daughter and et cetera. But it's like, why do we have to go through to the pit in order to see the palace sometimes? Why do we have to fall and stumble before we can see the glory? And it just tests, tests us, but it shows that we are resilient. It shows perseverance. It shows grit. And it shows us who we are and whose we are. Uh, yeah, no, number one, I love that movie. I think that is a phenomenal, powerful movie. And it, it is one of those things where I, I did question God a lot and that really hard season of loneliness. And, and I think, you know, you do ask why everyone does. And number one, I don't think Jesus is afraid of our questions, especially the hard ones. I've again, Christian school kid went in the church my whole life. I did hear some people say it was wrong to question God, that you should just have so much faith in his goodness and his plan that you have no questions. But, but also if Jesus doesn't realize we're human, he's not Jesus. And since he is Jesus and he is all knowing, and he is well attuned to our thoughts and our emotions and how messed up we are then perhaps I can not only ask him why, but I can tell him just how I'm feeling in that season. I think my prayer life pivoted in that season. I had, I'd always had a prayer life. I, you know, it's not that I never talked to God, but I'd always, I'd always showed up to prayer with it packaged and pretty and nice. And here's all the right words. And we said all the right things, but in that hard season, my prayer life got very blunt it got very honest and it was a lot of, Hey God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't like it, but I'm not going anywhere. So I will sit here and I will likely pout with you. I will stomp my feet at you, but I have to choose to believe that you are doing something and I'll see it on the other side of this. Mm, and that's where God wants us to be real because he knows we're not perfect. He knew us before he even formed us in our mother's womb. He knows the number of hairs on our head and stuff. And for us to just act like everything's okay, he knows everything's not okay. And I've been there where I was like, God, like I'm sick and tired of this. I don't understand why evil people and all these people who are doing these bad things get to live. And you took my dad away who was a believer who loved you unconditionally. Why did he have to go through this? And I like anger, like really anger. And I grew up in a home where I knew like my parents, like on Sundays, you're going to church and you better like, you know, look a certain way and et cetera until where my faith was really questioned, but that's okay because I know how to get back to God and I know what God wants me to do. And that's okay. And I feel like we have to stop being perfect Patty. As I said, I got that from a movie with um, Tyler Perry and where everything is okay because everything is not okay because on the outside, we may be trying to smile or anything, but people could see past the smile. They could see when you're faking it to make it. And why can't we just be vulnerable and say, you know what? I'm not okay, but I will be okay. It's just a mere season that I'm going through. 
I, I really like that you said that because one of the chapters in my book is devoted to a good friend of mine. Her name's Wendy. And while Josh was gone, um, she and I would meet up for like weekly coffee dates. She's an author as well. So we'd bring our laptops, we'd write, we'd chit chat. And I showed up one day and I hadn't even sat down. Like this is her just five second glance over at me. And before my little booty could plop in the seat, she said, what is wrong with you? She said, you, you've literally lost weight since I saw you a week ago. Um, your hands are shaking. Like look at your coffee cup. Like your hands are rattling you look exhausted. What is wrong with you? And I think so many times we're afraid to ask people those questions because we don't want to sound like we're intruding or like no one wants to tell a woman she looks like something's wrong. Like you look sick, you look tired. Like nobody wants to say that to a woman. But because Wendy stopped me in this moment of me just always trying to distract myself from loneliness, this go, 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 hoping to fill all the quiet spaces with noise because she broke that and just said, Hey, something's wrong. Like I'm, I know you and you're not okay. Her honesty is part of the reason that I did step back and eventually go to therapy. When I understood what was going on with my brain, it's what led me to have conversations with my husband and with family and friends. And, and that's something that I think is irreplaceable. Yeah. Wendy was your roof tier, kind of like the yeah. story in the Bible. You know that one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Where, where it's, it's one of those things where she, she taught me, I wouldn't say almost how to, you know, to, to gather up the pieces of, of me, like, you know, Ruth and the wheat field, but I just knew wherever I went, she would go and whatever hard season I was stuck in, she would stay with me. And and for that, you, that that's life-changing. Um, yeah, it's amazing because we all need someone like that in our tribe and not just someone. We need people like that in our tribe who will see us for who we are. They'll see us when we're low and when we're high and they'll still be there. They'll call us out on our mess or sometimes I say BS because I'm a WIP, y'all, a work in progress. The Lord is still working on me on a daily basis. And I am not perfect. The only perfect person is Jesus Christ. And until he gets off the cross and comes to tap me, I'm going to still be going through this journey. And as we begin to wind down, Peyton, I want you to tell the listeners and the viewers one or two gems, and then we're going to play a rapid fire game. Ooh, okay. That sounds fun. You know, I think what, one of the gems for me, if any of you heard my terrible dogs barking in the background, the first chapter of my book is called dog park drama. And it's, it's what, <laughs> so when Josh first left that time that he was gone for a really long time, I didn't want to sit by myself in the quiet because I was afraid my brain would get a little too loud and all the things in my life I'd shoved in the corner of the closet would have to come out. So I was doing anything and everything to get out of the house. And so I thought dog park, that sounds good. It's loud. It's furry. It's chaos. Like that will keep my mind busy. Well, I take my two terrible mutts to the dog park and Daisy's doing fine. She's running around playing like a champ. Um, Alfie, my big 85 pound brindle pup decides that he has the hots for a three-legged dog there, a three-legged female, and he proceeds to do his thing and he starts a riot. Like every male dog in the dog park, it's just a pile of dogs. There is fur everywhere. Owners are yelling and yanking their dogs. 
And my dog literally started a riot of 50 plus dogs in a dog park. So naturally I have to take my dogs out. We never go back to that dog park again. And I'm driving home and I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's not just bad that my dog literally tried to assault a poor three-legged dog at the dog park and start a complete mess. But this was all because I was so scared to sit with myself and face myself. And I'm just here to say one, one big nugget for me is distractions don't work. Distractions don't heal. It For me, it was going to the dog park and that just crashing and burning. But for a lot of people, it's social media. It's just scrolling. It's the mindless scrolling that ends up in comparison games and ends up in wondering why your life doesn't look like hers or look like his. And so distractions don't work. At some point, you have to be vulnerable with yourself. And so that's one, one really big nugget that I've had to implement in my own life. And I think with that, the, the next thing is silence is not strength. I grew up in a Southern home. I'm from Georgia. And it was a lot of, you pull life up by your bootstraps, you lace them up tight and you just deal with life. I come from a long line, multiple generations of men who served in the military all the way back to World War II, Vietnam, Korea. Uh, my father just retired out of the military. And so I was taught silence is strength. Like you're tough if you can handle everything. You're tough if you don't have to talk to people. You just don't let anyone see your weak spot. But it, we have weak spots. And if you have a weak spot, it's possible you have a wound and wounds don't heal on their own. And so I eventually had to come to the conclusion that not everyone has boots. Not everyone has straps to lace up those boots. And silence is not strength. In fact, the freeing part is being vulnerable and open and honest and speaking into those silent spaces. Mm, those are amazing gems. Distractions do not always work and silence is not strength. Y'all hold on to that. That should definitely be on a t-shirt where you pen it, um, Peyton, because people need to know that. And are you ready for rapid fire? Let's do it. Okay. I was going to do 10 questions, but I want to be respectful of your time. So let me know if you have time for 10. If not, we'll do five. Let, let's go for it. Okay. So number one, favorite color. Oh, my favorite color is blue. Oh, yes. Team blue. Mine too. Coffee, coffee, tea, or bobo tea? Oh, you threw bobo tea in there. Bobo tea wins. <laughs> oh, okay. Three. Favorite movie? Oh, gosh. Favorite movie's got to be The Proposal with Sandra Bullock. Uh, okay. Four. Dream car. Dream car is a white Lamborghini. <gasps> Shut up. Seriously? Yes. We're going to, we're going to have to race because I love Lamborghinis. I, I want one black on black with blue neon lights and blue is my favorite color. And I want to, I want to pull up to a stop sign and look at a guy and be like, is that a woman or a girl? And I want to roll my window down and be like, let's go. <laughs> yes. Call me when that happens. I will be there with my white one. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Five. Are you more of a heels girl or sneakers? Oh, sneakers. I don't, God did not give me really good feet. I've got some flat feet over here. Okay. Vans or Converse? Converse. Okay. Oh, we're down with the checks. Okay. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> if you could go anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Oh, 
It's a tough, tough tie between Ireland and Israel, but I'm going to have to go with Israel because I would just love to see where Jesus walked. I just think there is something heavenly on earth in Israel. Amazing. I don't know why when you just said that, it made me think of Kanye West's song, Jesus Walked. (laughs) We'll work with that. (laughs) Hey, dream vacation. Oh gosh. Honestly, Put me in a cabin anywhere in the woods with lots of coffee and some quiet space to write. You and your husband should go check out Broken Bow, Oklahoma. They have like the cabins and it's like glamping. And then some of the cabins have swing sets. They have hot tubs there. It's like really, really nice. I know what I'll be telling him when he walks through the door today. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. Nine. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, I would fly because I think sometimes just traffic makes me want to sin. And if I could just fly home, there'd be a lot less I'd have to answer to before Peter swung open the gates for me to go to heaven. I believe I could fly. There you go. (laughs) And Ted, you have to drop some bars. Oh, seriously? Yeah, you said you're a wannabe rapper. I'm a wannabe rapper. Let's see, what, what kind of topic could I do? You could do mental health. You could do um, something like one day. You could do Courtney Ramirez. You could do uh, Evie, Evie, uh, what is it? Evie McKinney, I think. Or there's so many. Or uh, or you could do um, a Lecrae verse. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Have you, okay. There's, what is that lyric? Um, Oh gosh, it's one of his brand new songs that just came out. I walk with the limp because I've been wrestling with the Holy Ghost. That is my favorite line ever. Like, oh my gosh, you walk with a limp because you're wrestling the Holy Spirit. And he says it's super fly and cool. And he's got tattoos and swag. And I'm just like the white girl in a beanie who wishes she could be super fly. <laughs> Swagalicious. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Kind of reminds me of Andy Mineo because I love Andy. He's like, he's like, I got my homies rolling with me shotgun or something. He's like, um, and then he has this other song. It's like, I'm coming in hot, coming in hot. <laughs> Just like a, uh, I like, like that I live. So, yes. My life in the speaker. <laughs> I'm feeding my fam. I'm feeding the meter. Something, hey. something, something. Again, <laughs> <laughs> bonus question. You could ask me anything you want to know about me. Ooh, any, where did you, okay, obviously Genesis is a biblical name, but I would love to know like, the story behind you being named Genesis, because that's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's kind of cool and funny at the same time. So Genesis was like a brainstorm. It's like in the beginning. So it's biblical. It's a part of who I am. And then Amaris is also biblical. And then Kemp means warrior. So in the beginning, you go through stuff and then in the end, you come into your warrior, and it kind of goes along with my book because um, my book is called From the Pit to the Palace. So that's me, but my parents love to call me um, what they named me. And I was like, uh, I really want to rename myself. So I renamed myself to Genesis of Mars Camp because it's a part of who I am. It's 
my goals, my values, my characteristics. And plus, since I am multicultural, my dad was Afro, um, Afro-Latina. He was from Curaçao, so off the tip of Venezuela. And my mom is Caribbean. People can never say like my name. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna do a name change. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. Super beautiful. I love the meaning. And there you guys have it. And Peyton, I want you to tell the listeners and viewers one more time who you are, how they could connect with you on social media. Yeah, so Peyton Garland, if you want to check out my book, just not so by myself on Amazon. I have my book, my blog, some other content on PeytonGarland.me. And if you want my dogs, if you will message me, I'll send you my home address and everything, the food, the heartworm pills, they all come free. So I'll also give you my mailing address if you want my dogs. And there you have it, <laughs> listeners and viewers. All of Peyton's information will be in the show notes. Peyton, thank you again for coming on GEMS. And for the lovely people, you know how I like to sign out. Peace, love, and lots of blessings. Remember, you are a masterpiece. The potter's wheel still works. And don't ever let somebody place you in a box because you weren't born in a box and it's not your time to be in a box. Save that for the afterlife. Until then, YOLO, you only live once.